This is back to back. What's up, back to backers? This is Willie Joy. Welcome to the show. It's back to back. You're listening to it. I'm talking on it. It's my podcast. That was a weird way to introduce it, but hey, I'm too lazy to make another one, so we're going to stick with this. How you guys doing? How was your week? How you feeling? I hope you had a great one. My guest on the show today, this is really cool. My guest is Sunburn, and Sunburn and I sat down in his apartment in Los Angeles for this conversation. I had never met the guy before. I was familiar with his music, really talented producer. He was actually in a group before he was Sunburn, kind of a heavier electro house group I had no idea about. I used to play their songs all the time back in the day. And he was just an awesome guy. We had a great talk. It was really cool to get to know him. He's got a new single called Melrose that's out on Ultra right now. It just dropped. You got to go grab that. And his North American tour is on sale right now. He's heading all across the USA and Canada. You need to go get your tickets to go see Sunburn. I'm going to put the link to where you can find all of that in the description of this show. And yeah, speaking of this show, are you subscribed to Back to Back? Really? Are you? I hear you nodding, but it's not a very convincing sound. Look, guys, it's super easy. All you got to do, just click the subscribe button. It's one word. It says subscribe. You click it. I know we all know how to click things. That way, every time I post new episodes, anytime there's new content in the world of back-to-back, it is hand-delivered from me directly to your device. It just pops up there whenever I post it. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to worry about, oh, did I miss it? No, you didn't miss it. It's on your phone. It's on your computer because you're smart because you subscribed. If you're listening on SoundCloud, just follow the back-to-back account. Same deal there. And if you really like this show, if you really want to win some brownie points, just leave us a rating and review on iTunes. The show's growing a lot right now. We got a lot of exciting things going on. And the best way to help support us is by leaving that rating and review. It means a lot to us. I'm not going to read any email this week. I'm recording this a few days early because I'm going to be out of town uh, next weekend when I usually record these intros. And so if anything crazy happened in the world, anything crazy happened in, in music, I don't know about it. So that's why I'm not talking about it. I recorded this a few days ago. All right, so let's get into this conversation with Sunburn. I'm always a little anxious when I'm going to talk to somebody that I've never met before for this show. You know, this started off, I was talking only to my friends, people I'd known for a long time. It was a comfortable thing. And I'm not a social butterfly, so going to talk to new people, that can be intimidating. You know, I get a little anxious about it. But this couldn't have been a more fun conversation. I had a blast. And it was really fun to hear from someone who makes a different kind of music than I make and runs in slightly different circles. I talk a little bit about this in the actual conversation, but it's, it's always a weird thing where DJs of different genres always stick together. If you really think about it, it's just a minuscule uh, difference between us. We really all do the same stuff. We're musicians, we sit in front of a computer, out of that comes some music, people dance to it, we play it as DJs. We're all doing the same shit, but it's actually kind of rare to to cross the party lines, so to speak, and hang out with people from different genres and different styles. So it was really cool to talk to Sunburn, hear his perspective, hear his story. I love talking to him about his aspirations, both for his own music, he wants to start a label, a lot of good insight about the industry, about making music, and honestly, we just had fun. This was a fun one, guys. I enjoyed it. I think you're going to enjoy it too. Don't forget to grab Sunburn's new single called Melrose, which is out right now. Don't forget his North American tour for the fall and winter is on sale right now. Link in the description of this show. And that's it. Plugs done. Let's get into this right now. This is me and Sunburn back to back. Let's go. (laughs) 
And it's interesting to me the the difference because really we're doing the same shit. We're producers, we're DJs, we love music, but I, I think especially for our fans or or not even fans, but just people who like uh, you know the, our styles of music people get a separation in their head. You oh, know? absolutely. It's pretty divided. Like, yeah. Uh, like, dance music's supposed to be this whole, like, everybody together, one love kind of situation. But then it's this kind of, like, divide, this, like, different groups, kind of like high school, like, like the water polo team stays here and the football team stays here. <laughs> right, right. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's odd. And, like, but there is also appreciation for both sides. Well, and I think you know? from the artist side, we kind of know that yeah. it's, it's all the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and that it's just kind of whatever we, we find our way to. And it's interesting. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was that I, I had read that you had a bunch of other projects before the Sunburn project. Yeah. And were those similar in style or? Um, absolutely. I, opposite is, um, I, my whole career started in San Diego in like 2011, 2010 uh, with a group called Nobody. Um, and it was this kind of dirty Dutch, hard electro mastercraft, yeah. like Afrojack, early Afrojack kind of style. And then... After that, it was a partnership with, between me and this um, this other guy, Ruben. And uh, after that, kind of like fizzled out and we tried to do our own other projects. After that, uh, it was a project called Fior Fire, F-Y-O-R. And it was kind of when Big Room was yeah. taking... Uh, I like think I have some of those old <laughs> tracks, actually. I don't think I knew that was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when like the whole Big Room thing. So like then that sound kind of developed. And then I started Sunburn way way before i actually like put it out um and it was like donna summer remixes it was like all vinyl like recut just oh, okay. super disco yeah and then as deep i like i saw disclosure for like the first time like years ago and i was like this is so fucking cool like how can i incorporate kind of both of them and then it kind of came to this like beach house <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> <laughs> like 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 this summery kind of like house music, but kind of with deep deeper sounds and yeah. yeah. At the beginning of it, were you doing it kind of as a reaction to or to what you had been doing before to yeah, do something different? I mean, different? it was just an outlet of like uh, fun, like just this, this is something fun that I can do. Like I was just my creative outlet of like, and then I hit a point of fuck, like. Uh, this big room thing is dying. I hate this fucking music. <laughs> what do I do? And then like my friends are like, dude, like my manager like loves your music. You should talk to him about like restarting the whole Sunburn brand and stuff like that. I was like, okay. And then really started developing that style, and it just like brought me so much joy. And I just kind of found my found my little niche, and yeah. I've been going like, going for it. You know, yeah. It's it's kind of all a matter of of that right time, right place, right sound Absolutely, kind of yeah. thing, right? It's it's funny that way because I see so many producers, even now, some really talented guys making really good music, but for whatever reason, that spark doesn't catch. Yeah. You know. And it's it, like you said, it's you know you had all these other projects beforehand, and I'm sure you were working hard on those too. And yeah, it's it's just one of those funny things that I think maybe the key is like what you said, where you started doing it just for fun, right? That's and, when you. That's when the true like because my goal and my dream for those those times was like I wanted to be Nicky Romero, I want to be Tommy Trash. Yeah. I didn't, I was not like, when I did Sunburn, I was like, I was trying to be me and all, everything else went out. And when you're trying to not replicate something yeah. and just fucking do it, that's when true creativity shines through. Yeah. You know what I mean? And were you, in your previous projects, were you kind of hitting those walls or hitting those ceilings of, you know? Yeah, because I mean, at the time it's, it's the development of like, you know, you're new to production and that's how you learn is by replicate, like replicating, even art, if you like, you ever take art classes, how they teach you to paint is by, you know, replicating projects and yeah. like doing that. So once you get good enough and your skills are like honed in, then that's when you can start to develop your own style and your own sound and truly grow. So it took like 10 years as an artist to like really grow into my shoes and be comfortable with me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's take it back a little further even. Um, did you have musical training growing up? Or? Oh, yeah. Um, so my, my mom and dad made me play piano. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which I, like, <laughs> I hated so much, but then I like I called my mom like a couple years ago. And I was like, well, thank you. So and, yeah, because <laughs> my mom tried to teach me piano. And I think I've told this story on the show before, and I just wouldn't let her. Like we just, <laughs> <laughs> like we just no. clashed. Yeah, I, I don't know if I was just being a brat or or what it well, was. Well, no kid wants to be like, yeah, I want to play piano. It's like that, and then like. Then I started doing guitar, and then I was in jazz band doing trumpet because, like, it's like piano is like the not cool instrument, right, you know right, what I right, mean? Right. <laughs> but it's funny because, exactly like you said, you called your mom. Like, I've talked to my mom later. I was like, man, I really wish I would have let you like, teach me <laughs> piano back then because I still don't know. I mean, I, I've taken, you know, I went to school for music. I mean, I can pick out a tune, but you know, I'll never yeah. be a, a piano virtuoso. Yeah. Although, what's funny is I also was a jazz trumpet player in high school uh just oh, no like way. you yeah and i've talked to other people i i talked to ac slater used to play the trumpet uh there's a bunch of, it's a weird dj trumpet connection DJ trumpet man. connection i don't know i mean i get timmy trumpet still plays the trumpet but it's uh it's it's sexy <laughs> right well i like the case okay, so it's like the like i like the brass because i could do french horn as well yeah. and like knowing that um but the sax is also like too confusing from like or even like <laughs> Even the trombone, like it's all muscle memory, right. um, and then like strings. Like I have a guitar, but it just like it never clicked. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So piano and trumpet just like make the most sense to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what did your parents do? Uh, my mom was a school teacher, um, and then my dad was always in technology. Um, now he, so proud of my dad. Now my dad's a CIO of Gap, but just oh wow, raised uh, in technology. So I kind of got like the best of both worlds of the creative side. My mom, just every instrument, just all of that. And then my dad, the technology side, you know, just teach yeah. me everything there is about computers, Innovation, how to build computers yeah, and like yeah. all of that. So then everyone's like, okay, this like this kind of makes sense where you are right now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not surprised at all that you would end up in this because it's the best. It's music and creative. Like, you have to be really good at computers. Yeah. And you have to be really good at, you know, making music. And, and you have to be an entrepreneur, right? You have to hustle. You have to have the hustle, you know? Yeah. Are you from L.A. originally? Yeah, I'm born and raised um Manhattan Beach. So I was a beach kid and then moved. I had enough of the beach and decided, <laughs> like, don't want to go to New York, but I'll go to the city. So I went downtown. Right. LA. Was there ever a thought that you would go live anywhere else? Or did you just kind of see that the industry was heading here anyway it kind of like all worked out so like when i moved out of my parents house i was like didn't want to move too far away and then i moved down here like 10 years ago just because it was the cheapest uh, <laughs> right and but it was also cool because like, i didn't want to live in hollywood either and yeah. then i also had like a concrete building so i could make music <laughs> right what else uh, when you were a kid like were you good in school were you like uh... oh i was fucking terrible <laughs> I, I just like uh I I just didn't like the way things were done. I didn't like school. Like, and even like, because uh, I was, I did film for so long. Okay. And half the reason I like film and music is it's, I, I can do what I want. Yeah. And like, like shooting film? It's shooting film and editing. Um, and I could do what I want. It's my project. And like, I, I would just take it so seriously and move so fast. So I'm sitting there like, okay, fuck. Okay, I know how to do this. I know that. Teach me, teach me something. Yeah. And, when I, did you start shooting video or film? When I was probably like 12 years old. Oh, wow. Like I had like a, a Hi8 video camera and got like Pinnacle and then slowly graduated. And then I started shooting skate videos for Girl and Chocolate and stuff like that. Cause like, Wait, what is that? Uh, skateboarding companies? I don't know. Oh, yeah. So like <laughs> I was never good. I wanted to be a skateboarder, but I was never good enough to skate. Yeah. But I was good enough to like fall and skate. <laughs> right, right, right. So did that um, and then just got into film. And then in college... It was just like I I I have to follow my rules and like I don't want someone to like tell me what to do or work on a project that I think is just the fucking stupidest thing ever. <laughs> like so then that's where the music is like you know I have the control I have the creative control yeah I, it can be my my dream yeah know? no boss that's that's definitely the dream man. So were you also making music outside of you know piano and band? Yeah, I mean I was school? like in high school I was um, my my cousin. Um, 
was like into recording and all of that stuff. So then I got into that and then lots of bands. So then I was like in metal bands in high school oh, yeah. and like that whole kind of punk, like that, that cause you're from San Diego. So the whole punk metal rock scene that like, yeah, what, yeah. cause then, then I got to do, uh, to be a roadie for Warp Tour um, when I was like 18. Oh wow. And like, that was like the best. That must've like, been crazy. Seeing like Pepper and Flogging Molly and it's like, cause I just loved Warp Tour more than fucking anything yeah. else. Like I would go to all of them, Ventura, San Diego, LA, like yeah. then like San Francisco, Go. It was like the, my favorite thing. And- <laughs> That's dope, man. I I played in some metal bands coming up as a as a teenager too, and it's cool now. I mean, I've only lived in California for a couple of years now, so it still feels kind of new to me. But just living in San Diego, I can see exactly what you were talking about of you know all the the true punk and hardcore and like the surf culture, all of that. Oh yeah, is, yeah. I mean, it's. It's undeniable. It's another thing that I thought was only something in movies until I came here. Bands and shorts and high socks. Like. Yeah, yeah. But then this like strong musical lineage too, you know? Yeah, because like growing up, um, the big band to come out of my high school, which is Maricosta Manhattan Beach, was Pennywise. Oh, okay. So then that was like, that was it. And then now it's it's funny because when uh, when I go back, it's like, it's me and Slander are the next ones to like right. come out of the school and it's, it's pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> like, like this is the shift of like, it's crazy because like the rock, the rock music has really taken like a toll and you know, people just don't, just people don't care. But it's, it's tough also, to be a rock band right now. But it's now, so man. hard because uh, there's like, you know, I can get, I got a phone call one night and I was like, yo, we need a, we need a headliner for this festival um, in Puerto Rico. Like when can you get on a plane? Like yeah. you know, like I say, like, oh shit, okay, I, I'll get it in the morning. It's not a bad like, call know? to get. Yeah. yeah, but then like in a band, it's like you have to like get everybody together and figure out how to ship all your equipment and right. drive it out. Like there's so much, and then you know, and split the money. Yeah, and- it's like I just like okay, I got a USB, let's go. You know, a hundred percent, man. So you went to high school with? Slander? Yeah, I went to high school with Slander. Were they doing music at the time too? No, I mean I don't think anybody really was doing because da- like yeah, I, I it's a different era. Yeah, it didn't really exist or like the technology, and then there's still so much analog gear at the time, and right? Then, once you got like, you know, like Massive and like all the Ableton and like, you know, Logic really started developing and like it went from hardware to soft sense and like all of that developed. That's when like, you know, when you see the 16 year old kids yeah. in Holland that are just like <laughs> fucking crushing it, you know. So what was your entry point to electronic music? Uh, it was Acid, Sony Acid. Um, okay. And that was that. And then I got into Reason for a good three years. Yeah. But then there was no VST or AU um, capability. So then um, eventually I went to more recording schools and then ended up at Icon. And I was like a logic guy. Okay. So then that developed and we got the new logic. Um, and then now over the past year, uh, I've been s- s- fluent in Ableton. Just because <laughs> right. like, so many people use it and we do collaborations. It's so easy to like be all in the same DAW. Yeah, um, I'm on Ableton too. And it's it, it's really nice when whoever I'm working with at least yeah. can like function yeah. in it. Because then you, like, you're bouncing out stems. Like, what did you do? Like, oh, there's an error here. Like, oh, shit. What, what? <laughs> so it's like if you're all in there. And then also using uh, this amazing program um, called Splice. Yep. That not only for the samples, but uh, to share and bounce back projects, it, it just makes it so easy to collaborate. Yeah, it's pretty wild how how far Splice has come, man. I remember uh, years and years ago, I was in New York, and, and me and Kurt from Flostradamus went up to their office, uh, like when they were just starting the company, and it was I think maybe like four guys in a tiny little room. And, uh, you know, they just had these big dreams for yeah. this, this project. And they more or less explained to us what is now Splice, but at the time, none of it none existed. Of it. And some of those guys, Brett, if you're, if you're hearing this, man, shout out to you. I know you worked hard on that shit. Yeah, man, shout out to Splice. I, where would we be without Splice? No, every, <laughs> every project, you're like, shit, I need something in this key. That like, It's a lifesaver. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's the Cialis for producers. Like, <laughs> when you can't get it up, Splice will get you up. <laughs> man, they should pay you for that. <laughs> but it's funny, like, the things we rely on now that, like, I've been thinking about SoundCloud a lot because, yeah. you, know, you know, SoundCloud was going to go away for a minute and then it didn't and now it's here to stay or I don't even fucking know but you know we all give so much shit to SoundCloud 
And then the second it was about to go away, everyone got really worried. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how I started like my whole career is that like, that's how you found the artists or new artists and that's how you put out remixes. And like, I owe like most of my career to fucking SoundCloud. Just right. like I would put out remixes and that's how people found, you know? Yeah. And like, it's, it's interesting because like if that does go away for whatever reason, like how do young producers get out there and notice like, it's really hard because like now it's all become Spotify and that kind of game. And it's like, right. that's like who you know. And like, it's uh, who you know. Like, and, you know, if you want to like bootleg a, a remix or something like there's that, there's no way. Like, how do you do it? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, that's such a, a strong way. And I used to do that too. That's such a good way for young producers to get noticed, to make a little yeah. noise is, you know, you sample something or you But that's just like something. a part of dance music is like, yeah. How finding like, you know, finding new artists or people that I like or like stuff like that is like, there's always like a bootleg remix or something. Like, that's just part of like the dance music culture. Did you ever, you ever get in trouble for any of the? Um, I actually, you did? Uh, there's a, the only one I ever got in trouble for was Dusky, and they just like didn't like it. But a lot of the time, like how some of the records and like how I got noticed was that we would get, we got this email this one time, um, it was from my Ace of Bass remix, and it's this, this long email like, yo, we own the copyrights to this, all of this, da 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 da. da. I'm like, oh, me and my manager, like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And they're like, but this is really, really dank, and we love this song, and like, like you, we can we'll let you keep it up if you have lunch with us and like. Oh, that's right. like so like okay, if you do a really good remix and like my theory also as well too is that if you do a song that's at least like you know seven to ten years old or later, it actually helps drive traffic to the song. Right. right? So if there's to the a, original to the yeah. original that uh, is not getting any sales and boosts sales. Um, versus something that like is brand new, you're in direct competition and people will like, you know, so you're fighting that. But if you do something that's older, it actually helps the record companies and they're stoked on it because then like it spikes iTunes traffic and yeah. like, you know what I mean? That's a really good tip because I think, you know, we probably, I said Every, If anyone remixes Chainsmokers right when a Chainsmokers track comes out, <laughs> please don't do this. This yeah. is advice for me, don't do this. No more Chainsmokers <laughs> remixes, please. Please. And just in general, there's this culture now of the second somebody drops a new song, like, yeah, a, you know, right. a new Drake song drops or whatever it is. Five minutes the, later. Yeah, like, five minutes later there's a hundred new remixes of it and I don't I don't understand that because I, I think what you said earlier if you go back and you dig for the gems people forgot about but do a remix of know. something never some no one's ever like that was my whole thing going into like my career somewhere is like I'm gonna remix shit that no one has ever remixed and like beg someone for the stems or even try to cut out pieces of that because then that makes it unique and yeah. like you know what I mean no one's done that and like with like the 50 cent is like no one's done that, and like uh, that was like what I tried to pride myself on is like finding the remix that no one did. Did you ever uh, hear anything from Fifty Cent's camp about? No, that I one? never heard anything about that one. Yeah. But but if he's if he's around listening, yeah, Fifty <laughs> hit Cent, me up. if you're listening, let's collab. To this. Let's collab. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were you going to school for? I was going to school for film, and I wanted to be like an editor, director. And just that was my vision. And you it, wanted to make movies. I wanted to make movies, man. And I was like really, really good at it. And living my, the Hollywood dream. Yeah, because my best friend in high school, his dad was the producer for House. So like the summers, I got to work on like the Fox lot. And like, oh, okay. It's like this is cool. Like I really like this. And then it went sour just by the people and just that culture was not what I thought it was gonna be. Like I guess. More like if I was like an indie film producer, things would have been different. Right. But I just could not stand the people. I could not stand having to like work on. And that's also why, like, I, I even when I went to school, back to school for music, it was like being an audio engineer. I'm like, fuck this. Like, dude, I don't want to work on other people's music. I want to work on my <laughs> own music and do that. So, like, that whole idea of working on someone else's project. And if right. you're not, like, for me, it's like passion is everything. So if I'm not passionate about something, I don't give a fucking single shit like, yeah, of, yeah, of what's yeah. going on. So uh, like, it, there's just a huge gap of like... Yeah, so I, even if you're working in the arts, if you're just kind of clocking in to do somebody else's You might as well clock in anywhere because yeah. like you're not doing anything that you love. Right, right. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. And so, so you left film school left for film school, audio engineering school? For audio engineering and then that... And I was like, and it just kept on jumping. Yeah. I was like, and then that's when, um, I mean, I would spend every day just learning about music. And I was like, what's okay? What do I do? 
like even at like were at you audio trying to make yeah your own i was trying to make my own music at that time and like audio engineering school was just like okay how do i make my song louder how do i make my kick drums fatter they're like well oh, just leave that to the professionals you know like there's people you pay for that i was like what like, so they were teaching you like recording instruments yeah and, and then yeah. like and then i was like how do you master and all that and they're like oh like well you go to a mastering engineer and, like, and then i went to school for that and then it was like no and, and then icon collective came around and it was like the first first time that they even opened their doors and there's like two people in my class and then that's when i was just like boom game over yeah like, taught me Everything I would just like spend like every night there. <laughs> uh, shout out to Brian Matrix. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, he was like my mentor, and then also like Dear Ramirez and um, you know like those guys. Just kind of like all the tour room people, like just like would just give me so much advice and just like listen to my projects and be like this is what you got to do to make it sound fatter. This is like all that kind of stuff, and they really actually care and help and show you yeah. about like the music you're making. That's so nice, man. I, I never had that when I was learning, and I always wished I did because I I went to school for audio engineering too out on the East Coast, and it was a similar thing where like. I guess I just wasn't thinking about it enough before I got into it. But, you know, I showed up being like, all right, I want to make these tracks. Like, how do I do, you know, these specific things? And it was much more about it to the teachers, you know. Oh, well, you know, I'll show you how to mic this guitar amp. Yeah. And, you know, a very old school mentality about it. And what's cool about Icon is that, yeah, I, I say this to people, if you're the kind of person who likes school, and who does well in a class? I mean, it's they're kind of the only ones for what we do. They're the only like, and there's like Dub Spot maybe, but I haven't heard anything. And then online courses, like, I have to be shown what to do. Yeah, I'm the, like, no, and I'm the same way. And it's it's funny because I think in in the industry, especially in the DJ world, there's sort of a weird anti-school like. Yeah, it's, it's YouTube. <laughs> yeah, 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 and people like. People, not everyone, but I've definitely talked to some people where you get the sense that they think people who are going to school are stupid, you know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. or like wasting their time, which for me, it's just, I don't know. I grew up a nerd. Like I always needed, you know, I needed to be taught. I needed like some more kind knowledge, of structure. More knowledge. And yeah, you just keep, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, for me, it's helpful still. I don't know. It's two different mentalities. And I always found it weird that once I got into the music game for real, that there's this really strong anti-school vibe. I don't know. I never figured out exactly I why. I think it's everybody has the same story. And I know like my best friend, Dr. Fresh, same story is that everyone goes to learn, but they don't learn anything because it's like this basic structure of like what it like. It's a, the game has changed. Yeah. And the only people that have like changed with it are icon is that this like... No one is going and recording bands. Every <laughs> studio I've ever fucking been to in the past five years, I have not seen them except for recording vocals. Right. I there's like a fucking laptop sitting on an SSL desk. Like <laughs> that is like that that's the world that we live in now, yeah. you know? Yeah. And for our listeners who if you haven't been in a recording studio, basically what we're talking about is you walk into a giant recording studio, there's uh, you know, one of those huge recording consoles in front of you that you've seen in, in movies or TV that costs, you know, $100,000. And then all we do is just open up our laptop and put that on top of it. <laughs> yeah, go out of an eighth inch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is sort of insane. But uh, it's true. I think, I, I mean, I guess technology and just what we do is evolving too fast for a lot of institutions to keep up. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about that in that way, but I guess you're right. And that's sort of what it is now. But there's there's changes too, because then um, at USC there's like Dre's whole school of music and that, and it's slowly catching on. But like I think a lot of it too is that the industry, especially the music industry, is so hesitant about any kind of change. Yeah. If you see even from like you know from the Napster era to now of like no, this is how it's been. You have to buy actual records, and like they're slowly they're so hesitant of change. And now it's just like, okay, this is how things are going. Look at who's like headlining Coachella. This like things yeah. are completely shifted. And <laughs> it's like, you know, like not many people want to go and be able to record bands because like there's like, you know, not <laughs> there's not yeah. a lot of bands out it's there. It's rough, man. And it's, you know, not to take anything away from people who are trying to do the band thing right now. It's, you know, that was my dream when I was a kid. 
but it's it's tough, man. It's, Nashville, but like I, I was just in Nashville for a week. It's a whole different, right? That's a whole different world. But like New York, LA, different. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think country music is still doing pretty well. Absolutely, at least that's my understanding. Huge. It's still massive, like yeah. Nashville, like huge. Yeah, which is cool, and I, I like getting exposure to those other scenes. So, all right, so you were in the different schools, didn't really take to any of them. Did you leave audio engineering school? At no, point? I graduated. Okay. I have a degree uh, that I don't know what I'll do with. Yeah, but, yeah you know, same here. I'll kinda. hang it up eventually if I can find it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where mine is either. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so what happened after school? Did you, did you kind of know that production and, and DJing was what you wanted to do at that point? Yeah, uh, and then it just hit this point of mom and dad. Like, um, like they moved up to SF and I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And they're like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> they're like, trying to explain it. And then I just like, I didn't really have a backup plan and just kind of pursued it, pursued it, pursued it. And then um, luckily, like, uh, the guys LED in San Diego were amazing enough to, like, help support me along the journey. And uh, I was, like, in a resident DJ. Oh, okay. And whatever I could. So to, they like, would just put you on a lot of shows. Put me on as, like, many shows to open up and be an opening DJ and just really honed in on my skills on, you know, learning CDJs and just being good at opening and then finally, you know, working my steps up. And then uh, like everything just kind of built into itself. Yeah. Like, I, then when my time kind of came, I was just like ready. And it's like, all right, you can throw me on the road and I can fucking play a set and just like, you know right. what to do. Yeah. Versus like now like the, sh the shift is a little different because um, some of these kids are bedroom producers, but they they didn't have the same experiences like some of like uh the older like some of us older guys like of like being a like a resident DJ and that that practice of like you know opening for somebody yeah. and he's like playing so, to a crowd who doesn't so know then, or care who you are. Yeah, exactly. It's like then knowing how to play a DJ set. Like that's a whole another aspect to it that is so important. And like if you've just been a bedroom producer then you just get thrown in front of a crowd. It's uh, it, it's a whole different thing. You yeah, know? it can be rough, man. I've definitely uh, a friend of mine in in uh, D.C. I lived out there for a couple of years, and he was a young kid. He was getting a name for himself as a producer. I'm not gonna say his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but. Uh, he was like 16, 17, and he got booked for his first show. A great producer, still a great producer, but he had never played before, you know? And so <laughs> <It's> he, like, <laughs> yeah, and I can't even imagine, you know, he played uh, at like a full club in oh DC to like, you know, whatever, 600, 800 people. And it was, it was not great, you know? <laughs> but you even see that same story, like the Kygo documentary is really amazing. It's the same thing as that. Like, I haven't seen that. Oh, watch it, man. It's on Apple Music. It's free. Um, I will. And uh, it's the same thing is that like they found him, he's making all this music and it's like, then he starts getting booked for shows and he's like, uh, I don't really know how. So then they had to bring people in to like show him how to DJ and stuff like that because like that's all another aspect of it that like is so important because it's, it's, it's a two career kind of job is like, you can be a great producer, but you can be a shitty DJ. You could be a great DJ, but a shitty producer. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So, like, having a balance of both uh, makes a great, you know, electronic artist. Yeah. I mean, you have to have both. And I think even a, even someone who's never DJed before, I mean, if you throw them on the road long enough, they'll figure it out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but still, it's it might be a rough period there. <laughs> uh, so, before Sunburn came to be, was there ever a thought in your mind that the previous projects had potential? Like, were there points where you were like, okay, this might be like what I do now? Yeah, uh, with nobody, it was, we had this opportunity, is like one of my greatest stories is that it was in San Diego one night and it was uh, probably 2000, going into 2011 on New Year's. And we had just played the biggest show of our career at Voyeur. Um, oh, yeah. R.I.P. Voyeur. Rest in peace, Legendary Voyeur. club. Still have one of the skulls in my closet somewhere. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and um, biggest show ever, and it's so foggy, and they're like, yo, we can't find the, ne the next guy after us. Like, you got to keep going and do the ball drop and all that. We're like, hell yeah. And then we get a, we get a text message from like, the main owners of LED, and they're like, yo, um, so it's so foggy, and they're running two shows of San Diego. They're like, we need somebody to uh, 
come play like a headlining slot at the sold out sports arena for 15,000 people. We need you guys over here right now. Nice. And we're like, uh, <laughs> wait, like, trying to get a cab at 12 o'clock from Gasland. Get on there and just get out there. And we had just played the biggest show ever in front of 500 people. And now we're standing in front of 15,000 people and they're like, all right, guys. Go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. They must have really loved you, man. Oh, dude. And then we got, then the crazy thing is like, then we're sitting out that there with like all the girlfriends and we're like, holy shit, what the fuck just happened? And then, and like 30 minutes later, they come back out. They're like, yeah, uh, looks like Axel missed his flight too. Like, you need to go back out. And oh, they're shit. like, oh, <laughs> shit. And we go back and then just people are just fucking screaming. Like, my phone is going off. Like, Dude, are you on stage? What's like? Because we had we had no visuals. We didn't have anything. It yeah. was like, yo, we're nobody. Like, like. But then that was also kind of the joke too. Is like, hey, what's up? We're nobody. Like, yeah, that's kind of perfect, actually. Yeah, it was funny. And then that just kind of like after that, I was like, I, I, I've been chasing the high ever since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we talked about it a little bit, but with those projects coming to a close, was there ever a point where you just kind of knew, like, okay, this is done now? Um, yeah, I mean, for the actual project or that, like, you know, like, like there was a point where I was Or the like, potential for the project, you know, yeah. kind of when you knew that you had to do something else. Yeah, there was always a time, um, well, with the, my other project with the duo, it was, uh, you know, like a, um, you know, conflict between both of us that sure. wasn't working. And it, I didn't feel like it was fair to, like, take the project and just run with it without him or whatever. So we decided to just split ways like that, you know? And then with my other project, it was just like, it was so saturated in the sound. It, it, everything had been done. It was just like, and then I started to just hate it. Yeah. I started to hate the music and just, it be, started becoming so cookie cutter generic. That I was like, not into this. I'm not all about like, and then started finding something unique. And then I just kind of like went, all right. I'm putting this project to rest. I'm done. And, sure. You know. When did you realize? On the flip side of it, when did you realize that the Sunburn project had that real potential? It was. Um, I had come back because I just came from Splash House. It was about this time four years ago. Um, then I went straight to San Diego and just started working on remixes. And then I put one out like every week. And it went one one hype machine number one, one one hype machine number one, one one hype machine number one. <laughs> right. And I had like five in a row in five weeks, and everyone's like, "What is going so on?" So kind of right off. And the then bat. my manager is like, "What is going on?" And then, and and shit just went from zero to a thousand like overnight, and it was like, "Okay, wow, like like this this has got something. This has got some kick." And then that's when like, boom, like. I started getting remix offers, and then um, my agent came knocking on the door, and I was like, oh, "Okay, like this, yeah. this is yeah. this, okay, this is happening." Like, yeah, that and that's a really good uh, note. If you're doing all the stuff right, the people will come to yeah, you. It's, you know, because uh, never be too pushy, and never be that fucking guy that's like trying to like put headphones on me in the club. Like <laughs> that is never how you do it. Like good music will always shine through, um, but it's not only as you push it correctly online, and you know. And I, for so long, it's like so many kids, like, they think it's just like all handouts or like, you know, they're going to put like, oh, you have to put this record out. I was like, no, like all these blogs like would not even fucking listen. And it's right. like until you build credibility, until you show that what you're putting out constantly is going to be good music, is that that's when they trust you and will put out your music. So it took so long for them to trust, you know, right in the brand and then. Finally, when, when your name is out there and you just finally build momentum, that's when things happen. And even like what most people don't even realize is California, like my, one of my biggest tracks, it was out like fucking years ago and it just get, it got no traction, right. nothing. So we took it down, re-released it and you know, that's kind of like where it is now. Yeah, it's that know? right place, right time thing again Absolutely. too, right? And, and I tell people that too, it's even if your music is good sometimes and you're sending it to a label and you don't understand you know, why they won't respond or why they, they can't do it, it's probably because they have a hundred other really good, you know, it's yeah, like, it's a competitive uh, marketplace. And then there's so much to, the one is like, uh, I really, really start to like uh, find labels that I like truly respect like defected or sweated out and that just it's it's about the quality not the quantity and then you have like spinning deep which is like the same shitty record recycled and there's so much of it all the time that like it just doesn't make it special right and that's the thing is that 
may having special records and like like having trust in a record label that seems to have gone away. Yeah, and that I think is like the for me was like the coolest thing is like when you could trust like when you could trust the record label to be like uh, like you know like, yeah. Well, let's talk about that uh, for your career because your you know raindrops was your first was that your first single as yeah sunburn? that was my first single okay and that was obviously also your first big hit as yeah. sunburn and that came out with ultra is that yeah. right so what was the experience like had you worked with uh, you know labels of that size before no um, it kind of like um, so it came back to the all that she wants remix of having that lunch. And his name's Charlie, uh, amazing guy. And he's like, yo, I have this, I have this vocalist you should work with. Let's set up a studio. So we're in Venice Beach and with Curly, and I'm just like fucking scared shitless. Like, <laughs> right. I never worked in a studio like that or with a vocalist. And yeah, um, it's always intimidating when there's someone else kind of yeah. waiting for you to just do something good. Yeah, know? and um, I, I'm like terrified. And then out of the blue, Don Diablo just like walks in the door. And he just like sees this like scared little 21 year old and like. He's like, yo, let's all, let's all take a little walk really quick. And, like, and then he just gives this like fucking heartfelt speech of just like, yo, get to know each other and talk about life. And just, you know, like he's like, don't feel this pressure to like write a fucking hit like right off the bat. He's like, that's not, that's not how it works. Like, because he just wow. sees me like fucking sweating balls and just gives his heart to that's heart. That's so nice. Just out yeah, of just nowhere. Out of the blue, and yeah. it's just me, him, and Curly sitting on the beach. And um, it, it just kind of like, you know, made me super comfortable. We went back in, kind of did this scratch thing. And, uh, I really took it to heart and like he kind of like saved the fucking day and then yeah, I don't think he even realized. <laughs> yeah, right. That's amazing. And so then how did the label hear it? So then she was with Ultra. Okay. Um, and so there was always So then that, that was kind of that there. And and then after it just kind of took a mind of its own is and then when I signed with Ultra. And then that's when that whole thing kind of uh started to take place. And are you still signed with Ultra? I'm still with Ultra, yeah. That's something I'm curious about because, you know, we were talking earlier about how you need to be independent and you don't like working on somebody else's work. Does that apply? Because with a major label, I, I haven't released with Ultra, although I've done remixes for them, but I've had a lot of friends who either have contracts with them or, you know, have talked about having a contract with them. And I know they can drive hard bargains, and I know, at least for some projects, they can be more involved than the artist wants them to be. Yeah. And, and how do you deal with, you know, maintaining your your sound and exactly what you want to do when you're working in a, a major label, so to speak, environment? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one because, uh, you know, it, it, it is big business. Um, and you have to realize that going into it. Yeah, it's based on money. Yeah, and with the project is still like, um, I, I still owe them one more and I know what they want and this and that and like to give them, you know, it's got to be the radio like, accessible kind of hit and like that's totally fine. But at the end of the day, it's like what I would have liked to do and what I would, I'm trying to do is start a subsidiary underneath Ultra where I can have the creative outlet but yeah. then they can also have, you know, the song that they want to go run with it on Spotify and have that. So like sure. it's, it's, it's balance is do one for them, do one for you, do one for them, <laughs> do one for you right. so that you don't go fucking crazy. Yeah. Well, and I like that. That's a cool idea because I think, you know, the model for so many DJs right now is kind of you, you get a name for yourself, you get signed to whoever you get signed to, you fulfill your obligations hopefully benefiting like you and the label. But then I think for a lot of people, then they stay independent after that. Yeah. And maybe they'll start their own indie label or, or what have you. But the idea of actually just working with the label to build your own home kind of uh, under that umbrella, that seems really smart to me. Yeah, because I mean, you can, like now it's um, with Spotify and just the access and then also like they believe in the project. Ultra's been amazing and believe in the project for so long. And... If you can find a way, like, I mean, just like with life, like have a conversation and like <laughs> work together. But then you know, it, it's, it's it's a give give, you know. Yeah. So like you have to, or sorry, give give full. Like so, like you have to, you know, give them what they want. But then also, then you get what you want as well. So if you can find like a good balance where everybody can like profit and well, not necessarily profit, but like work together and everyone gets like what they truly want out of it. Like, you know, I want right. to put out like, 
You know, like a really, like they've been so cool and let me put out like a, you know, like a club record, you know, that's like not going to do huge numbers on Spotify. Yeah. But then, you know, but then also then give them like the pop track. So like if you can be able to do both and make you happy and then make them happy, right. you have a win-win situation. Are you able to, uh, if you want to, or, or if they're not interested in a record, are you able to put it out yourself still? Yeah, they've been really, really cool about that. But in, even also um, putting out records, like I have, I have a new one called Melrose with these new, uh, this, these new guys called Strange Club. And it's, it's going to be a fucking cool record, but it's not like what they would want. But I'm like... Yeah, this it doesn't have to count for the you know the the deal, but like, would you support and put it out for me and stuff like that? And they, they've been cool about it. That's cool, man. And I think that's you know maybe that's a key that some of my other friends who have had kind of negative experiences with bigger labels uh, missed out on is that if you can build that relationship, at least some of the time they'll be willing to work with you. Like I like you know, there's a compromise. Absolutely. Like, yeah. You know. Like if you're willing, that's cool. I've never heard of anyone being like, eh, it doesn't have to count to my to the obligation in the contract. Because <laughs> you can get so I mean like it, it can get sour and stubborn. But then for me at the end of the day, it's not about money, it's not about shit. It's like it's about, it's about getting your records out there and as far as they can be. So it's like, okay, fine, it doesn't count, but like it's still gonna be pushed by them. It's still gonna get Spotify playlisting. It's still gonna get it's going to get where it needs to be yeah. versus if I throw a bitch fit about it and try to put it out myself, it doesn't have the same push as them, but then giving them what they want. And they're right. like, you know, but like... Was there that expectation after raindrops of what's the next hit going to yeah, be? Yeah, oh, well, of course. Like once you start setting a bar for yourself, fuck, you got to keep... Like, <laughs> right. And it, it becomes stressful at times. And like, and then that, there was gangster walk. And then, so now it's like, what's next and like you always have to outdo yourself but then as an artist like sometimes you just get lucky right and you know not that i'm like a great producer or anything like that but it's like sometimes you just like fuck that was a hit but not every record and then that's also it's really hard to with for artists as well is like to one-up themselves every time and like even with disclosure after settle it's like fuck they're probably sitting there like oh dude how do we yeah. how do we how <laughs> do we how do we one-up this somebody like shit at that level i can't even imagine the pressure so it's yeah. yeah it's really really tough and you know not every track that you make is gonna be this huge like hit you know do you worry about that in the studio like if oh, you're dude, making yeah. something and- <laughs> <laughs> well of course you're like you want everything to be great and you want everything to be a success and you know sometimes it can it can be uh be a mind fuck and like yeah. you're just like oh this isn't good enough whatever like i have so many tracks this is like okay this this isn't amazing this is a great song but this isn't like fucking amazing you know right right are you conscious of trying to make a song for the radio is that a yeah i mean there that's in there of like like especially the structure wise too because in like how i make my tracks like for me right like i have a certain kind of format that i follow and structure and then for radio stuff as well too is that like you got to tell the story in 30, 30 three minutes and thirty seconds. Yep. So like it's a little bit different pace. And like for me, like why I love you know techno and tech house is like it's all about the build and like the tension, and that is what makes the drops so significant. Right. But with like pop and other stuff like that, it's just like one and the other and the other. It's just like just like a condensed version of it. So you don't really get that build. Um, you don't really get any tension in pop music. It's just go. You mentioned uh, Gangsta Walk earlier, and I didn't even really realize till I was uh, doing a little research last night that that was actually an unreleased Nate Dogg vocal yeah. that you used on it. How did you even get a get that? Like, uh, so after, after or the, even find that. So after like the Fifty Cent remix, uh, this guy that like just kind of owns like all the rights to like Public Enemy and all the stuff is like, yo, this was amazing. Like. Uh, I, I have like all these unreleased acapellas and all this shit. Like, let's have lunch and like let me let me give you some stuff and see what you can do. And then uh, that one was in there, and it took. I, I think I did the track in a weekend. Like I just kind of like it clicked, and I was yeah. like, all right, this is awesome. And then it took a year and a half to like track down his estate, figure out who's alive, like who uh, this and that. Right. And then there's a lot that had to be cut out of it because then Dre actually owns like a significant amount of rights. I was wondering to, about like, that. Like his main line, which is smoke weed every day. Yeah. Like, that, that's, that line is in that track too. But like what ended up happening is he got in some trouble or something like that. And Dre ended up having to bail him out of jail. And then Dre's like, you got to do a track for me, which just happened to be the next episode. Wow. So his own line, uh, Dre owns. So if we kept that in there, 
we would have to <laughs> yeah. we have to pay a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing you were able to clear it at all, man. I feel like there's probably a lot of you know rappers that couldn't do that. Dude, I don't know. Like it was it was like it was weird because then we had to do takedowns of like one of his friends and tried to put like a beat over it. If you like try to find Gangster Walk, there's like some shitty version, like really horrible version out there that like you know because like after like a rapper dies or something like that, it's always like. Someone tries to like then recreate yeah. like a track or like put a beat over like an unreleased whatever, you know what I mean? Like Tupac, like that's the whole like Dave Chappelle skit of like, this is the new Tupac coming out like, at the club. <laughs> right, like, right. you know, like it's just kind of like that culture or whatever. Um, and I don't know how the fuck we did it, but we, <laughs> we, I, I, I had like no, like there was a point that I was like, this is never gonna happen. Well, because I'm just imagining the the percentages on the record must be split between so many people. Yeah, I probably don't get anything, right? <laughs> I and that was the point where like I don't, they're like, do you care? I don't give a fucking shit, dude. I just want this record to come out. I don't right. Know, that was not what it was about, you know? Yeah, yeah. When I sometimes, especially if you're collaborating with a bunch of people, or I mean, working with an estate of a famous person, it's that's the way it's got to go. Sometimes, if you yeah. want the record to. People will argue a lot less when you stop caring about the money. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Like when people realize that you are not focused on the money issue, I think that's for a lot of people, then they're like, oh, okay, he actually did this because he likes the art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's what it should be about anyway. Uh, don't, yeah. get, don't get taken advantage of, but... Yeah, 100%, which brings us back to, you know, Ultra and the other major labels who are focused on money and, and back to that whole dance. So once you fulfill your your obligation to them, you're looking to to make your own label if yeah, you can. Yeah, uh, start my own club, and then not only that is that like so many I, I didn't even, like now I have these like I have like with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> like these kids coming to me saying the records is like what the fuck do we do? And there's there's so much great shit. Is that like you know I would like to start like an outlet and a collective of like you know like finding other music and yeah. like you know being there to help people um, and just like. Having something cool and standing for something. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it sounded like you had some people who kind of looked out for you, yeah. uh, or at least showed you some production tips and all that when you were young. That's something more of us could do. I think yeah. a lot of people who are who are really doing well right now and touring and and putting out records that are well received, it's kind of easy to get caught up in that little bubble and, and just be like, life is great. I don't have to do anything else. Uh, but it's for the future of this music, which I think is something everyone is very concerned about right now and something I think about a lot, I think it's really important to bring in the, the younger generation if we can, because everyone keeps talking about is the, the EDM bubble bursting, is dance music, you know, is it gonna go away? Uh, you know, these giant companies that came up a few years ago, some of them went bankrupt, festivals <laughs> are going out of business, all this kind of stuff. and. and and music is uh, music is cyclical, right? So I mean, yep. I'm sure there will be some new trend. I don't know what it is. That's what I've been thinking. And like, okay, what's next? Right. And I, I my my we've had a pretty good run so dude, far. I think the next shit. I what I've been like making and like even like what I've been talking to people about is like this tribal kind of shit. You even hear like Axwell and Grosso kind of doing like this like tribally house. It's like it's like kind of what like. Kind of like what like Kygo I think will go to of like it's more it's higher energy it has this like really cool rhythm, yeah. but it's still like house music you right. know what I mean and like that kind of like what like really old major la like major laser kind of like you know upon the floor kind yeah. of like that era but like not as uh, like reggae mumbatone oriented you know what I mean yeah like, yeah. Well, and it's cool for me to hear you talk about that for the house world, which is, I mean, I like I'm I kind of built my career in Chicago, which is the home of house music, and I, you know, I love house. I grew up DJing house music, but it's not what I do anymore, and I wouldn't claim to be, you know, an expert on like where the sound is heading. So it's very cool to to hear that, you know, you guys on your side of the field are, yeah. are working on that. <laughs> For any any genre, I'm sure drum and bass is is progressing in ways I don't know. But Things it's come back too. Like they yeah. generate like and especially now too. Like it's crazy because like in my sets, I'll I like and this is another thing that I just don't fucking understand with so many producers and DJs is this like it's all about like, all right, what's Beatport Top One Hundred? Same fucking sets over and over. It's like, no man, dig back. Like throwing some throwing like a throwback in your sets and stuff like that is I think for me the coolest is like 
I remember uh, seeing like Hannah once, like down the street, some fucking warehouse, right. and like she she dropped polka dots, like Afro Jack, Oliver Twist, classic. Yeah. And I was like, holy fuck! Like so, then I took that one and then yep. started incorporating that into my sets, and I was like. What other stuff is there like that's old, like old boys noise and like all these other that? Yeah, I think we're at this point now where a lot of people got into the scene 07, 08, yeah. blog house era. And, you know, now it's 2017, it's 10 years later. And I think that's maybe finally enough time where people are starting to look back. There's enough distance and enough history. It becomes a classic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and to remember, you know, because we're so much about pushing things forward, progressing sounds, always looking for what's new, what's new, what's new. But, you know, sometimes you get into an area where you, kind of what you were talking about with your older projects where you're like, oh, wait, this isn't entertaining anymore. This isn't interesting anymore. And I think it's interesting that we're at a point now where we can look back and take inspiration from like, oh, this is why we started doing this. Yeah. Like, this is what was really exciting. So how can I take that vibe and that energy and present it in a way that a raver in 2017 is, yeah. is going to like? It's crazy because uh, I was just with a, a friend and we were just going through all throwbacks before uh, I was like playing my set for this past weekend at Splash House. And we're like, holy shit, music was so fast. Like 130, like uh, that, and everything now is just around 124, 125. It, it's it's really different, but it also gives a different groove as right. well too. That was just like, eh, I don't know how to like the long, like the slower it is, the more room there is for rhythm. I guess. Sure. Well, and that's another interesting thing I was thinking about driving over here is you know what the music you play and the music I play are are different and kind of serve different purposes, even though you could hear it at yeah. the same day at a festival. And so for me, playing, you know, super high energy, like drop oriented uh, banger kind of tunes, it, it works really well late at night in a hot, sweaty room, you know, everyone kind of packed in where you just kind of like building that energy, you know what I mean? And then when it's, when it can be more difficult is when you're playing 2 p.m., in the bright sunlight, yeah. <laughs> you know, next to a pool or something like that, then that mu contextualizing that music gets harder because it's, you know, it's more aggressive and it, it's the, the presentation. And then, so I wondered for you, the flip of it, where, you know, I think for you playing at a pool party is like, oh, this is, you know, this is what this music is meant for is like yeah. sun vibes, swimsuits, water, splash, you know, all that. Like it, it's that vibe. How do you translate it then to when you take it to, you know, the 1 a.m. slot at a hot, sweaty club? It, I, do you, I is, have, is it still mellow vibes then? No, no, everything, like, oh, I don't go really too mellow. Okay. Uh, the, the best way that I have, like, tried to describe in a sense is, like, my music, I, I hate the word tropical house, but it's like tropical house with balls. Like, right. so like, um, it, it's 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 got meat to it. Like, it's not this like like floaty, right. like pan flute shit. Right. But like, um, I will like because I have to play my hits. But then I also have so many like I have like remixes of my songs that I'll never put out, and different stuff like that that I have for different times sure. of like a heavy version of raindrops or like different versions of California. Yeah. That for like. If I want to get like really warehousey, I have that. Or like if I have more pool party vibe, I'll play more of like the original kind sure. of stuff. Well, and like you were that. just talking. I mean, if you're playing uh, polka dots, like yeah. I would play polka dots. That's a. <laughs> I, I have like a polka dots like gangster rock fucking mashup thing that just like combines like. So I like I like to take my music and classics and just make these like you know, secret weapons. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, and it, again, man, it's all the same shit at the end of the day, too. That's the funniest part for me. I was thinking about, like, if we were playing at the same festival, I read something you were talking about when you played at EDC, and then I started thinking about when I played at EDC, and I was like, that must have been the two most different EDC experiences <laughs> that two DJs could have. Because <laughs> in my mind, you know, EDC, just because, you know, it's it's the world I'm in, so I'm hanging out with all the, the bass music dudes. We're over at the bass pod. You know, it's just banger after banger for nine hours until six in the morning, and you're exhausted. But then for you, like, I don't even know what your EDC experience would be like and what that stage would be like. It was... Uh, it, it's weird to me that, like, there's no mixing of those. No, uh, be, uh, because I also it was a collaboration, um, or sorry, back-to-back -back with Dr. Fresh. 
So we sat down for like a fucking day and we're like, okay, how do we take my sound, your sound, and EDC and make this into like a fucking spectacular? Because like you can't like go full sunburn, like kind of there. And then Dr. Fresh is a little heavier. So we're like, how do we take our hits and everything, combine it together, throw in some classics, and then that's kind of what we did. It's like it was like a little bit of a little bit of me, a little bit of him, throwing in like the who, and then throwing yeah. in throwbacks and throwing in classic songs that like people knew, and making this kind of just like nice little EDC pod of stew. You know? <laughs> right. Well, uh, what what do you have coming up next, man? Uh, you were mentioning a new release pretty soon. Yeah, I have a new release coming out, Ultra, called Melrose with my boys, Strange Club. When um, is that coming out? I think we have the release date. Uh, it's coming out in three three weeks. Okay, that yeah, might be I, right around when this drops, so that'd be good. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, yeah, it's coming out soon. We don't have a full release date yet, but it's coming up real soon. Um, I have a remix for LDRU um, that's coming out, and then I'm kicking up my fall tour, which is called After Dark, which um, is going to be this like this kind of deeper, darker sunburn of like. I'm going to do a couple... It's kind of like the Cascade Redux tour. Oh, like, okay, yeah. I'm going to do some remixes of my own tracks, but really these kind of like darker Tech House remix and do kind of that tour for fall. And then... Um, I really like the idea of those themed tours. It's fun because like I've done my tour and it's always been about a song um, or promoting like the, the song that's out. But this one, I was like, I want to do something different and something like, you know, a little bit cooler and touch on like... Hey, this is not something that you have seen before because, right. like, every time you've like, after you've seen an artist for like fucking three years, it's the same thing. Yeah. How can you like do something different? And that's where like we look up to Cascade and kind of like that whole. And I also love the small intimate vibe is like doing that and making it personal and just like finding something cool and different. Um, yeah. Do you like being on tour? You like being on the road? Yes, I love it. Um, but then there's points where you hate it. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. All right, I need it. Like, and it's always the same fucking thing. And like, I come back here and I'm like, all right, a month. All right, okay. Can we get, can I leave again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think all DJs have that, man. It's, it's the grass is always greener. Yeah. And... You, you, when you're on tour, like, you finally, you're like, oh, I want to be home. But then when you're home, you're like, I want to be on tour. Yeah. Like, yeah. We can never rest, man. I don't no. know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we do what we love. Yeah. As far as the, the deeper, darker vibe on the tour, is that something uh, you're trying to get into musically as well? Yeah. I mean, I love just like kind of Tech House, the Latman, Detlef kind of UK shit and then even like i, love I also too. love and then what i'm starting to get into more too is just like and that's also back to the balance with you know with ultra and like you know like mk does it very well he does his big song but then he does the mk dub remix and right. then like even you saw it with like gorgon city and duke duman is that like they have the fucking terrace mix like so it's like do you know do the big single but then you can do your own little cool version of it and yeah. it's still your song, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, and that takes it all the way back to the history of dance music. I mean, you know, in the in the 80s and 90s when a dance artist would put out a song, there would be four other mixes of it on the same single that, yeah. and they did all of them, you know? Yeah, it exactly. wasn't even remixes. It was just different versions. Even Elton John. Like, yeah, I, true. Yeah. That's true. I was thinking that was like, are you ready for love? There's like a fucking disco mix. There's like I was like, holy shit! Like okay, this goes way, way, way back. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. And like that's what I think people forget. And like okay, and that's what I told him was like okay. When we do the remix comps, like uh, I want to be on it. Like I want my I want <laughs> right. I, like, I want to remix my own shit because then I can do a different version of it. And you know, like yeah, well, I think I'm that's sure cool you'll too. do it better than anyone else. You know, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to get out there, man? Uh, I think this is about it. Um, I'll be in Australia all November, uh, so that's really cool. Like first time going there, so I'm super excited. It's amazing for that. out there, man! You'll love it. So the the last thing I like to ask before I end all of these, just a, a really simple question. You don't have to think about it too much. First thing that pops into your mind: What's a, just a musical memory? A time in your life when when music really affected you? It could be a concert you saw or a song you heard on the radio. Or you know, just uh, a tape you bought, or whatever. First thing that pops into your mind. Uh, I think seeing Blink One Eighty Two um, in concert, like, was like the greatest thing ever. I was like beyond obsessed with them. How Be- old were you? Fuck, dude, I don't want my parents let me go. Uh, maybe like <laughs> fourteen or fifteen. Yeah. Um, like, I, did, I had to be like eighth grade. Yeah. Um, 
And I was like the fucking like that was my that was like the only like I love that band. I still have all the CDs somewhere in my house. Like that was it. And I was like, because I just like idolize those guys more than anything. Yeah, was, yeah. Was that like one of your first concerts? Yeah, one first of my big first concerts. first big concerts. And like they was also like they had something about it is that like for me too. It's like like some people, some DJs would just take shit so seriously. No fucking smiles and nothing. It's like those guys are cracking jokes on stage, having fucking smiles, having a good time with it. The personality shine through and like. They're just having a good time. I think that's what it's all about. Yeah, man, I completely agree. And I, I think now that we've talked for an hour, I, I feel like your personality and your music are pretty aligned too. So maybe, Thank you, man. yeah, man, even at a young age, you were, you were picking up on that from Blink-182. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, thank you so much for well, doing this. Thank you for this. having me out, man. Yeah, absolutely. Back uh, to the yeah. living room sessions. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Let's go. <laughs> Peace. All right, let's... All right, that's the show. Thank you so much to Sunburn for sitting down and doing this with me, man, for having me over at your place. It was awesome to get to know you. Uh, you know, the way the world works, I'm sure our paths will cross again soon now that we met for the first time. For everybody listening, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was a fun one. My name is Willie Joy. You can holler at me on all social media, at Willie Joy. You can email me at backtobackpod at gmail.com. I want to hear from you guys. I know I say that all the time, but it's true. I want to read your emails on the air, ask me questions, insult me. Anything you want to do, it's cool. I won't be mad. Well, I might be a little mad, but I'll get over it. That's it. I hope you guys have a great week. I will see you next Tuesday for more Back to Back. Peace. <laughs>